0: Welcome to the Childhood Cancer Hall of Champions podcast. Our mission is different. We're not about numbers, cures, donations, or research initiatives. We want to dedicate our platform, childhoodcancerhall.com, and this podcast to children aged zero to 21 and their families who are affected by childhood cancer. We want to share their stories, celebrate their lives, and create a community and support network that's forever free for these families. Whether you're a child, sibling, family member, friend, or someone who wants to learn more about the subject, you are welcome here. It's a safe place where we can lift each other up, educate the public, find new language, and let the stories live on. Let the families not be defined by cancer. These are their stories, legacies, and living memorials. everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And this is Fei Wu. I'm the co-host. I'm here with my um, co-host, Anna Friberg as well. And we're here interviewing parents, Robert and Heather um, Turnahan here joining us on Childhood Cancer Hall of Champions. We're so thrilled and so privileged to be here. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having us. We're excited to be able to speak with you.
0: Um, It really is a privilege because I know, I I say this without any reservation, it takes so much courage to talk about it and to be willing to share your stories and to also confront that, you know, um, our stories are all very different. Uh, We are here to learn from you. And I think these are uh, invaluable lessons a lot of people are, are waiting for. So... Um, to to get started, I definitely want um, both of you to maybe share some stories about Micah and the journey you've been on since December two
1: thousand and nineteen. Absolutely, I would love to. I don't know, do you want to start or me? Um, sure. I, I I
2: doesn't matter. I will. So
1: I can start with the evening. Um, it's an evening that I'll never forget. So Friday, December nineteenth. I'm sorry, December twentieth, twenty nineteen. Um, my wife was, uh, it was my last day of vacation time from the bank and my wife was out with the girls, uh, having a much deserved alone time, get some, some rest and relief and some good food. And I got a pizza, something simple dad would do, you know, just nice, easy meal. Um, about 30 to 40 minutes after we ate the pizza, um, I, I walked by Micah and he was complaining of a bellyache. So he looked like he was getting a little pale. So I grabbed him a a bucket Um, because at that point I had a six month old in the house as well. So trying to navigate between all the needs of the kiddos, I gave him the bucket and I said, I'll come back and check on you. So he began to get kind of decreased from there. He was writhing in pain on the couch. And I remember I started having kind of a frantic panic mode. Because I couldn't tell what was wrong, and I've seen belly aches before, and this was not a, a normal belly ache. My wife has had her appendix out in the past as a child, so I was kind of think, leaning more towards, you know, maybe it being appendicitis. So I got a hold of her, and we agreed to um, meet up at the hospital Whew. to figure out what was wrong. So when we got there. Um, you know, the doctors, the ER staff was fantastic. They got us back right away because of his age and how little he was. And, um, we got into the room and room number seven, by the way, um, he ended up getting an ultrasound, just, just as protocol so they could see the the appendix and everything in the abdomen. And, uh, I was the ones present for that. I actually haven't even shared this with my wife, but. I was sitting there and it's amazing to me how these texts, um, that do this, what they see every day, I'm sure is, you know, they take home with them. Um, she was very calm, didn't say a word. And, you know, the whole time she's looking at a, a 14 centimeter, um, tumor growing around his adrenal gland. So I didn't know this. She sent us off back to the room. Uh, The doctor came in and pulled us both out of the room because we had all the kids with us. Um, So right there, kind of a a red flag, you know, to both of us. Why are we getting pulled out of the room? What's so, you know, important to discuss outside of the children? And that's when she told us what was going on. So um, really no words can explain, you know, a parent's feeling. In that moment, because, you know, right away that there's a, a high when there's a tumor, there's a high possibility that it's cancerous. Mm-hmm. So I left the hospital, went home with the kids.
2: Yeah, I, at that point, I uh, I called Micah's mother. Her name is Stacy, And she lives very close to the hospital. And I said, I need you to get here as soon as you can. And She came. I mean, she flew, came so fast. She was there within five minutes and I, we just kind of let her call the shots because we were both kind of like uh, just emotional shocked. wrecks and she you know and she's a delegator you know she's uh you know enneagram eight she calls you know she just tells everybody what to do so so she came in and we needed that and she told bobby to take the kids and go home and that she was going to stay with me and then the doctor came back in and said that he she wanted to do a cat scan um do a CAT scan to find out if, make sure his lungs are okay and everything else. And so he went back in for scans for more scans and Stacy stayed with me. So at that point it was just me, her and Micah and he was, um, not feeling good at all. They'd finally given him enough pain medication to calm down the intermittent pain that he was having, but not completely take it away. Um, Mm -hmm. Stacy brought him a super soft blanket and that blanket has stayed with him for every procedure up until this day, he gets scans, he takes that blanket. So that blanket has been a comfort for us since the night he was diagnosed. And we call it Aunt Tay's blanket. Um, so that's very special to us. But the doctor called me out and Stacy stayed with Micah, and she called me into the small room. And I remember her just looking at me, and it was just me and her, and, and she said we found tumors in his lungs, nodules in his lungs. And she said, There is no doubt in my mind that this is cancer. You'll be transferred tonight to a children's hospital in Tampa um it, probably within the next hour and at that moment i just i think in my mind i you know my enneagram 8 popped right on out and i knew that there was solution and i felt that there would be a solution it was more of like okay so what are we going to do mm-hmm. um i i didn't feel defeated at that moment it was more of like okay give me all the solutions so we can figure this thing out mm-hmm. um so I went back in and I hugged Stacy. And when I hugged Stacy, I heard God tell me two things. And I heard him audibly, like loud and clear, like he was right in my ear. And, you know, I, I've heard God several times in my life. I hear him a lot. He shows me things. I see pictures. I, 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 you know, he's always talking and I'm always listening. So I'm thankful for that. But this was one of those moments where he spoke much louder than normal. And I heard him say, do what they tell you to do and fast and furious. And the do what they tell you to do is something that I needed to hear because I we're very healthy, we're very natural, we're very um uh, you know, the thought of giving my child over to doctors to pump him full of chemo was not exactly, you know, the my best moment of having to to trust somebody else with my child. Um and so I needed to hear that from God. I needed to hear do what they tell you to do. And so we um and the fast and furious part really made me nervous because I was like, is the cancer fast and furious or what is this going to look like? And later I found out that he really meant that the entire journey was going to be extremely fast and extremely, you know, furious in many different ways. And and God was going to be fast and furious. And so we transferred over to the other hospital, Stacy and Mike, her husband, Uncle Mike, um, they really worked on getting a good plan in the place. And they told us what to do because at that point we were, Bobby and I both were, we couldn't make choices. We couldn't even process what was going on with the six other kids. And so they, you know, I had to pump breast milk for Haven. (laughs) So I'm sitting there pumping, trying to get the milk home for the baby. Bobby has all the kids. I'm, you know, I'm in charge of Micah. I take Micah over, Stacy and Mike, um, get to the house and my children love Stacy and Mike. And so I knew, I I knew that that piece of my life was going to be happy and safe. And my kiddos were going to be great. And I think that was so important to know. And so then Bobby came over to Tampa and we slept for maybe an hour. If that Micah was in so much pain through the night on and off. I think I even slept on the bathroom floor with him for a good hour because he was in so much pain. So everything was a blur. They did a billion scans, a billion this, a billion that, um, testing, just a ton of testing. And I was a mess. And everybody came to see us. Our hospital room was just like overflowing with um, our church family and friends. And um, I I was a children's pastor before I went on a sabbatical um, at the resting place in Tampa. And so we just had a great community and still do. I mean, you know, distance doesn't dictate community, I don't believe, especially during COVID, you know, (laughs) but, um, so, uh, we, you know, we had a lot of people come in and out and one of the doctors came in after some of the tests were done. And she said, she sat right in front of me and she said, I, we can't operate. There's nothing we can do. We're going to have to rely on chemo. And something in me just did not agree with that at all. Like, I just was like, mm, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Like, okay. And I'm looking at this lady and I got really frustrated with her. And then, you know, God changed my lens really fast and was like, she's here to help you. you no, know, that's, she's here to help you. And I'm like, you're right. You're right. You know, just it's just hard to hear that. So at that point, um, the surgeon who is like a hero of mine
1: Well, we, we just, from my perspective, so we're sitting in the room still processing, we're both doers. We're both the types that, all right, we have all of these emotions that we have to navigate through, but God. So where do we incorporate, you know, how do we shift and kind of sift out some of our, our feelings versus our emotions versus, all right, what's God's going to tell us and what's he going to, how can we trust him in this situation? So, you have this doctor that we meet for the first time telling us that she can't operate. And then a couple hours later, we have a lady kind of barging in
2: a surgeon and she was asking us to come profound. out into the
1: asking us to come out into the hallway. to, you know, but excited, like she was on a mission yeah. type, you know, so she puts us in front of this screen and I will never forget this. She's sitting there and it, it's like, it's like, you know, it's, two minute warning and you're down by one point. And like, she was that like amped, like she's gonna win this game. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm, she has my attention. So I'm sitting there, you know, already kind of encouraged like, all right, this this is a blast of hope. God's sending us something here. And she's like, I'm gonna tell you right now, I disagree with my colleague. Uh, I believe that from what I am seeing, I've been studying these scan, these pictures for about an hour now, and I don't see the tumor wrapped around any major arteries or any other organs. I'm going in and I'm getting this sucker out. That was her, those were her words. Wow. And we both kind of looked at each other and we were like, fast and furious.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember her eyes being this crystal blue. And like, I looked at her eyes. And all, all I could think was, I trust you. Yeah. Like, there was something about the surgeon. I, I, I mean, I, I still think of her, and I still think of, I just see her as a hero. And mm-hmm. just the comfort it gave me when she just looked us straight in the eyes and said, I can get this out. Yeah, And it needs to come out. Wow, and so it scheduled surgery for Monday, and Michael was still in a lot of pain. And then all of a sudden I get, the doctors come back in, And they said that the surgeon rescheduled it for Sunday, which they don't do operations on Sunday for children. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when she went in to remove it, it was rupturing as she went in to get it. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: So that, you know, that was, um, it was amazing because she was able to get 98% of it. But it was also extremely frightening because you never want a tumor to rupture because it spills.
0: Well, I didn't, yeah, that's so, something I learned while reading the story. I feel very educated by that. Um, I, 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 did read about the the rupture part, but I didn't realize the, the impact it would have. Would it then impact the nearby organs is like a really dangerous thing because the nature of well, that,
2: cancer? Yeah. You have cells that are in the bloodstream now and able to travel anywhere and oh. you have stem cells. So you have cancer cells and then you have stem cells, cancer, stem cells, and they're they're different. And, um, whereas cancer cells, they divide rap- extremely rapidly. Stem cells don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you open up a tumor like that, both spread out into the body all over the place. And so you have a lot more cleanup to do and it increases the chance of reoccurrence or even not even being, you know, treatment, not even working.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So at
2: that point were much smaller and she Was so upset that it had ruptured, but we knew that it was rupturing beforehand because the amount of pain that he was in. Right. And so for her to even change the date from Sunday to Monday was genius because who knows what it would have looked like on Monday.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. And then you. What I noticed just now, I'm also curious what Anna is is reacting to this. That I'm hearing that you know your God is talking to you. To say that trust this person but you literally just met him or her her in this case for the first time and then you Mm -hmm. found the surgeon and you're not blaming her for a quote a mistake that you know it wasn't even a mistake it was she felt even guilty she felt so worried but you're not i just i just found
2: this interaction to be so authentic yeah Mm -hmm. yeah she was so upset and she had good tears in her eyes and i but I felt so God, I, I mean, I just felt God all over it. Like, you know, there was, there's a supernatural faith that I feel like we've walked this thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We've walked with this entire journey that I, it's just so supernatural. It's, it's not anything natural. I look back and I'm like, how did I know that? Or how did I feel that? Or, you know, how did I know to do that? And there was, there was a whole lot of that in this journey. And I think, um, You know, the moment I looked in that surgeon's eyes, I really fell in love with her. And there was a few times where I felt like Bobby and I were in a position just to love on her. It was really neat, you know, but she's just an amazing, amazing woman. And we we are extremely thankful for her. And this is actually kind of, one of my best friends, Danielle, she had been praying and God showed her um, a picture of, well, kind of like a, a movie almost in her mind of Micah having surgery with the surgeon with the angels in the room and Jesus was standing there. And so when we were when I was talking to her about how one doctor said we weren't going to operate and another doctor said we can't operate. And I always said I really I know for a fact we're supposed to get this thing out. Mm-hmm. I was like, you're very clear. I believe we made the right choice, but just for extra confirmation, can you just pray about it? And so God showed her a picture of the uh, the operating room with angels and a doctor and uh, Micah and Jesus. And, and she's like, 100%, I believe that you're doing the right thing. You know, move forward with the surgery. So Danielle was in the room after Micah uh, the next day when Micah was back in his room. Danielle came to visit to bring us dinner. Um, the surgeon, Dr. Lou, came in and told us that Micah was doing great. And Danielle had this, her face turned white, like a sheet white. And Bobby and I saw it right away. And we were like, what is wrong with her? And her face, like she had tears. She was like holding back tears. Well, Dr. Lou walked out, and Danielle just started sobbing. And I mean, she was just a mess. And we were like, and I thought something bad happened. I'm like, what happened? What's wrong? What's wrong with Micah? You know, like, mm-hmm. what are you feeling? And she said, I saw, she's the doctor that I saw in the vision that God gave me. That's who I saw. Mm-hmm. That's exactly the same woman I saw. She's like, I saw her. Like, I knew she was going to be your surgeon. I've never seen this woman in my entire life. I don't even know who she is. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, I, that is who I saw. And God showed me what was going on. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I feel like there's so many moments of things like that happening. Um, people had given us, people were having dreams. People messaged me dreams I'm like, like on a constant, I get them all the time. Um, for instance, before we even knew we were going to go to St. Jude, we, had, we, were, we were praying about it, but we weren't positive. And uh, nobody knew we were thinking about it. It was something that we were just kind of like, just kind of had, it was just in our hearts. And we were just quietly kind of praying about it. And my friend India from church, she messaged me. She said, I had a dream last night that Micah was um, sitting next to me on the couch and he was singing the Hey Jude song to me.
1: And she had no idea that we were (laughs) actually considering... Um, trying to get him to Saint Jude. Yeah,
2: I mean that, that's that, that is a constant echo. Yeah, in every entire story.
1: This yeah. whole journey has been, and I'll tell you right now, I don't know how families or parents with a diagnosis like this get through it without having faith. Hearing. So, mm-hmm. for I me, one, early yeah. on, for me, I God God obviously knows me better than I know myself. He created me fearfully and wonderfully made. He says so. I'm sitting here immediately thinking to myself, as a dad, earthly dad, I go into protect mode. How do I protect my son? What do I need to do? I'm a fixer, I'm a typical male that wants to fix everything. So I'm sitting here panicking because I don't know what that looks like. And immediately I got the story of Jericho. Um, And if you're familiar with this story, Um, And and I'm saying early on, like two days after the diagnosis, because he knew I needed to hear it that fast. So the story of Jericho, you know, on the seventh day is when they marched around and they all shouted and the wall came down and everything inside, you know, passed away. Um, Except for Rahab and her family. So I'm like, God, why are you showing me this? Okay, it's a battle. Um, What is it? What are you showing me? So he immediately tells me and downloads this story to pertain to our exact situation. He says, listen, you and the the people you are um, connected with, spiritually speaking, from the church, from around the country, from around the world, are connected and are the body that's going around the walls um, diligently and and faithfully. Uh, And you are all shouting declarations over the walls of what's happening. The walls, he said, represented Micah's body. And that everything inside needed to die, except for rehab, meaning all of the cancer must die. And rehab is going to be the only thing left beyond that. And that is where we are today. And he said, the only thing I want from you, at the end of this story in the Bible, it talks about how all the gold, all the silver, all the bronze, everything went to him. During, after the fall of Jericho. He said, all of that, I, it represents all of the glory and praise is for me. That's all I want out of it. Mm. And I'm like, if that's all I got to do, Lord, that's what I'm going to do. And, and we've been declaring Jericho over this you know situation since day one. and that is honestly, that was the catapult for me, spiritually speaking, to be able to walk this out doesn't mean we didn't have moments where we struggled with fear. I mean, she—I don't know if she talked about it when I had to step away, but um, are you familiar with the term scanxiety?
0: When somebody going through a scan, or
1: is yeah, that what it means? So I guessed so it.
0: I—I I was very yeah, scared. So to have, be, yeah,
2: before
1: the infamous scan days, you know, as they're approaching every single time, no matter how solid someone thinks they are in their faith, they have, as Joyce Meyer talks about, they have that battlefield of the mind because your mind races, you know, your emotions kick in. You start really over-processing things, um, out of fears, you know, and that's what the enemy does. He wants to, any moment he wants to try to slip in there a fear and for you to go down that rabbit trail.
2: I think for me, um, during scans i am extremely solid um during that scan, the days leading up to and scans i'm very solid i hear god very clear like i i've gotten to a place where i have a lot of peace mm-hmm. and, and but the ne- the next two days after scans i'm a mess mm-hmm. like even when we get clear scans back it's this it's a it's a delayed processing of the trauma I think you know what I mean of of, of the trauma of it all. If so I don't, and I don't. It's not a battlefield of the mind for me. It's not. I don't. My thoughts are pretty on point. I hear God really clearly, and you know, I listen to a lot of worship, and um, I have peace. But it's still this like stoic, like warrior stance that you have to go into it because it is a, a guarding of the mind, a guarding of the time. You know, making sure that I'm okay and and Mike is okay and all the kids are okay, and you know, being concerned for Bobby and how he's, you know, um, processing through it. And so the two days following scans, he's like, Yeah, and I'm like, Oh my gosh. So
1: so then we reverse roles. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And how was it? Was it the same during this last
0: one for you?
1: Yeah. You know what? It's funny because. I know in, the, in my in my know I know in my knower, as my grandma would say, that they're gonna be clear. I know it. I can feel it. It's like God's telling me that it's already good to go. But I still, my gosh, the whole day. I mean, she'll ask. She'll show you her text messages. I am texting her like every thirty minutes. What's going on? Is he okay? Have we heard from the doctors yet? Is it is it clear?
2: yeah there's just a level of anxiety in the house yeah you know I get my uh 14 year old are you almost home yet will you be home soon you know yeah have you heard anything so it's just a lot of this anxiety it just really is and it's um I think it's just not normal and natural and it and it can absolutely shine a light on any um anxiety or PTSD that you carry from you know such a Intense and fast and furious um, protocol. I mean, Micah was on one of the hardest protocols on the third floor at St. Jude. I mean, it was hard. We were in the hospital. I think anywhere between 100 and 120 days away from the family, Um, and uh, that that's hard. You know, it's hard. I miss. We miss Christmas. We've we've missed every holiday. Son's 16th birthday.
1: Yeah. Um, My birthday. Yeah. His birthday. Yeah. We uh, just
2: everything was. It's just kind of like during the eight months of the intense treatment, Mm -hmm. your life, you just push pause on your life to save his. That's really what it felt like. And then COVID hit.
1: That was the biggest kicker was COVID in the middle of all this, you know. And yeah, and 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 there
2: was positives from COVID, actually. Yeah. Like as much as it was awful. Yeah. We were forced to.
1: So for me, work-wise, if you can imagine, you know, what company is gonna keep you on? I, I literally just started work again three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been out since. Let's see, I took a vacation the week leading into the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So then I hadn't stepped foot back into the to my branch since December 11th or around that range, 2019, and I just started work three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I went two months, so about eight weeks without a paycheck um, due to running out of uh, leave. (laughs) But because of COVID, when I was ready to come back from leave, my superiors actually advised me to stay at home and work from home. So they sent me a a Chromebook and all of this equipment for the, (laughs) for the bank. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, because of his treatments, they actually continued to delay my actual start date, but they were paying me. So it, it what, was what company it does was that? I America mean,
2: was incredible to us. Yeah, 100%. I can't,
1: even the CEO of the company, company. you know, personally reached out to me mm-hmm. to check on, you know, me as an employee, but my family, how Micah was doing, to let yes. me know he was praying for him, wow. uh, donated to us. I mean, mm-hmm. these, what, this is a major corporation that, you know, is saying, we could, you know, like most businesses just, you know, write you off and kind of lay you off, but we're not going to do that. Yeah. We're going to take care of you and we actually do care. So it, COVID actually, in this that sense, actually helped us because of the, you know, and not I being think, able to go back.
2: I think the way that everybody's living right now with COVID is the way that any oncology family lives. And so all of a sudden everybody's forced to live the way that we're living. And so you can't walk into my house unless you have a mask on. Well, yep. we have to wear masks anyway, because Micah's A and C would be very low at times. And yeah. so for us, we're constantly hand sanitizing. We're minimizing the amount of people we're around. Micah couldn't get sick, still can't get sick. Mm-hmm. And so, like the way that everybody lives through COVID is the way that we lived anyway. And so yeah. now everybody was living like us and it made it just much easier to not get sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, and Keep
2: so and so for us it's we were going to live like that regardless of covid. Mm. So it was actually Yeah. Yeah, and for, you know, St. Jude everybody loves the community in St. Jude. Oh yeah. And it, it's huge. The community is huge. They have all kinds of things where, you know, other families become family. But yeah. for us, I I was so focused on Micah's recovery and my family that I did not have the energy for friends and family into like to make friends. I didn't want to make friends. And so I wanted Micah healed and I wanted to keep my family intact. And I wanted all of my energy to go to my children and my family. I had no time to make friends. And so COVID made that easy as well, because everything was shut down. So the expectation of like going and doing all these St. Jude things there, it, it wasn't there. And so we could, during his treatments, him and I could sit in the room and not be expected to even leave. And we focused on singing and laughing and painting and listening to God and playing hours and hours of iPad building. <laughs> I've never built so many Lego sets in my life. Yeah. I never, even, I, don't know, I never built a Lego set. I would watch my oldest build then.
1: She's a master builder. But now
2: yeah. I'm a master builder. <laughs> <I'm happy. laughs> but so it was just like hibernating time with Micah and I. Yeah. And I was reading so many great books. Um, just about uh, like radical remission and Chris Wark's books about just healing naturally and from diets. And, and so it was, it was also a great time for me to Research. really learn as much as I could about integrative therapies that would go along with Micah's um, therapy and actually give us um, a second phase in his treatment, which is all homeopathic um, and integrative therapies. So I learned a ton during that time, you know, the hundred, to mm-hmm. 120 days in the hospital As hard as it was being away from all of my other kids, extremely, like even my newborn, you know, I I was away from her for 30 days. You know, I just remember that her being able to finally come to me and I just remember holding her, you know, and I just cried. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've never been away from my babies this long before. But again, like I said, your whole world pauses, everything pauses so that you can save the life of one child.
0: Yeah, I was thinking yeah. about that. Because I think rarely do people hear about a family and especially hearing directly from the siblings. And in, in this case, you have seven children, it's very, very busy household. And how how do you think this event has impacted their, uh, the, the others, the Micah siblings? And how are they able to process this? Because they're also at very different ages too.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, Jeffrey got angry and punched a few holes in the walls and cried his face off and handled it like a fifteen-year-old boy. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, then he got quiet and he got he like drew into himself. He wasn't mm-hmm. in a good place at all. Yeah, he was
1: just he shut down. Yeah, he did because he was away from
2: me, and so he didn't have his mom. He had it, everything was stressful. It was bad. It was rough. It was. Not fun. A
1: lot of transition. So if you can imagine, you know, my plate was overly full because I had a newborn. I had the other children that had various needs. He's Um, mom and
2: dad all of a sudden.
1: So now. And then the stress
2: of being upset, you know, being worried and concerned for Micah.
1: And moving. And we were
2: separated. Yeah. and Because
1: everything happened really fast. And at
2: that point, we moved. Yeah.
1: Yep. So you have January, you have the the conversations with St. Jude and we finally have the opportunity with my transfer uh, Mm -hmm. to get there. And then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, they're gone two weeks later and now I'm, I'm really left. (laughs) Yeah.
2: And, and so that was very difficult.
1: The eight-year-old extremely. Asher had the hardest time because uh, Asher and his Micah. His
2: was through the roof.
1: Yeah, and he's already got a little bit of anxiety, so the, you know it was awful. Micah yeah. is his best friend. They are you the know?
2: closest ever. I mean, they are so close. I call them my three little bears. Yeah. So there's Asher, Micah, River, and they're all back-to-back boys, and they are extremely close. And so for Micah to get taken out of that equation, and then you know they couldn't come to the hospital that much at, at, in Tampa, Asher was allowed to have one sleepover, and it was precious. Um, but you know, they, the siblings have to watch him get accessed, And so it's like a three inch needle that goes into his chest. So they see the, the, the stuff they see that they all the hard see, things. you know, Asher, you know, would rub his back while he was throwing up from chemo and, you know, everybody knew where the barf buckets were, you know, everybody knew exactly what to do when Micah was throwing up and, you know, when it was just, you know, when I had to pack for the hospital, everybody got quiet. Everybody got sad. Yeah. And it was just, it was, it was tough. Holland, my oldest daughter, um, she is uh, very, she's strong. She's so strong. And so she's the one that came with me to St. Jude. So it was me, Micah and Holland um, and St. Jude for about a month before the others closed on the house and moved here. So mm-hmm. she saw all the hard things because she was by, she was in it with me constantly. How old is she? Um, She's 14. 14. Wow. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But she is. uh,
1: And just 14. So she went through all that as mostly 13. Mm -hmm.
2: But she is so um, just, I think of her, I think of just, she's stoic. She is this like old soul. She's so mature. And so um, she she her communication is, is incredible. She talks through things like I w- I did, I wasn't concerned for her, no. like I was with Asher or, or Micah. Um, and then there's Skylar and Skylar is our 10 year old and she, um, it was rough, very rough. She missed me a lot. Um, she's more quiet. She's not the communicator. So she keeps things in. In mm-hmm. fact, so sad. She, um, had a knot in the back of her hair and she didn't tell anybody about it. And the whole time I was gone, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger because she didn't want to tell dad and yeah, she but, couldn't get it out. She, she was too embarrassed to tell Holland. So when her and I were reunited, when we moved back into the house, she came in and she goes, mom, I don't know what to do with this. And she had this huge knot on the back of her hair. I mean,
1: it was completely dreaded. Yours. And I just
2: held her and I just cried. Mm-hmm. And I cried because I wasn't there. Then I cried because she, she didn't have me. And I cried because she's the one that would sit and not want to bother anybody. Yeah. Hmm. And so it was just ugh. And so we cut the back of her hair, made her hair really pretty. I shampooed it, and I just spent as much time as I could. But I was in a, still in a state of like anxiety. If I heard when I got back, if I heard a loud noise, I would be set off. I couldn't I couldn't breathe. And I think nobody like. Bobby couldn't understand that part of it because I was in the hospital. And mm-hmm. so it was, and he was, some of the hardest chemo was being administered to him through his IV. And any moment he could redline. Do you know what I mean? Like any mm, moment yeah. the yes, nurses could all, because that. I know what they're giving him and I know the side effects. And so it was constant prayer, constant mica, constant what's his blood pressure look like? He's running on one adrenal. Are they giving him enough hydrocortisone? And so, when, and, you know, the weeks that we were in hospital for inpatient, we had a week of inpatient, two weeks home, and then we'd go back for
1: and start over again. and start
2: over again and chemo all over. And then his, he would need blood transfusions and platelets and he would, you know, his plate and hemoglobin would, would drop. and um, drop. And, you know, any moment, all the bad things could happen. Yeah. They never did. <laughs> but. And thank God they didn't but I knew enough about this particular diagnosis and, and I knew, and I had researched enough that I knew all the things that could potentially happen. And I'm other than a, um, an adrenal crisis, he had two adrenal crises, and I recognized them right away. And luckily we were at St. Jude during both of them. We were staying at Tri Delta. So at that point he went into crisis twice and Holland and I threw him in the little basket and wheeled and ran him over to, um, St. Jude. And they knew exactly what it was, knew what to do we advocated a little bit here and there and we, we up this. ended up upping steroids um, because treatment was very tough. Um, so Mike didn't have neutropenic fevers like most kids. Um, he, he thankfully he didn't have a lot of the side effects uh, of the chemo that I've read about. I'm so thankful for that.
1: Well, and to be fair, you know, what we have always said since we started our researching on our own as parents, um, of an oncology child is there's gotta be a healthy marriage between your traditional medicine that doctors lean towards and the integrative side. So God's design of our bodies are to want to heal. You know, he's got everything around us. He created it all so that we could live, you know, healthy, prosperous lives. So You know, we knowing that you know the research we found um, early on. We had a G tube put in.
2: Oh, this is neat. Can I? Which is a cool story. So. So Mike and I were in the hospital, um, and he his first treatment was awful. It was terrible. It
1: was a nightmare. Awful.
2: (laughs) He had a line infection. He had a, a. adenovirus adenovirus first
1: he got the adenovirus which is uh <laughs> awful. diarrhea non-stop it was awful. It on was top terrible. of chemo you mm-hmm. know it burns
2: yeah and literally then fevers and um he was a mess yeah it was not good none of it was good
1: then he was about to be cleared I was all excited to come pick them up at the hospital and she texts me and says he can't leave now and I'm like why and she said well he all of a sudden um, got a fever so high that the thermometer stopped it. reading it. Yeah. I'm like, what in the world? So, yeah. so about he got that a, time, his court got an infection. Yeah,
2: yeah. So about that time, everything started calming down a little bit. Um, he was throwing up nonstop. He wouldn't take his medicine that he that he has to take. It's called uh, mitotain and it's essentially a pesticide from the 1980s that was banned. And they repurposed it to shut down the adrenals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's crazy stuff. So anyway, I actually did a report on it in college. And so when I found out what it was, I was like, well, that's ironic. You know what I mean? Like here I am like studying it in college and now I'm giving it to my kid. And I'm just like, what in the world? And God said, do what they tell you to do. And I said, okay. So (laughs) So we're giving him this. And it's, he, he's throwing up nonstop, can't keep anything down. At that point, we had not gotten his nausea, you know, under control. And he woke up and he goes, mom, and he goes, there's a tube in my belly. And I was like, there's, you don't have a tube in your belly. And my first thought was like, he remembered something from surgery. You know, he, You know, there's all kinds of tubes and all things mm. after surgery. And he said, no, no, no. he goes, look, and he picked up his shirt and he pointed down at his stomach. And he said, there's a tube there. And then he looked, he goes, oh, never mind, it's gone. And I was like, okay. And so I just kind of thought, I was like, well, that's interesting. So the nurses came in to hold him down to try to give him his mitotain. And this is just crying. a couple of hours after yeah, that Not even, not even. It was his morning medicine. And so the head nurse pulled me aside and she said, have you ever thought about um, implanting a G tube? And I was like, no. And she said, it goes right here. And she pointed to the exact spot that Micah had a dream that he had a tube in his stomach. And mm-hmm. at that point I was like, okay, tell me more about this. And she told me about it. And I called my friend Tara, who I grew up with. And she is um, the president of uh, children's hospital in uh, DC. And she said, you should have done that last week. Do it. She said, that would be the best thing for him. And I said, okay. So we pulled the trigger and we got the G2 placed and that was really easy, pretty simple. And at that point, they showed me the formula that they wanted to give Micah. And I said, absolutely not. I don't even think that's food. I'm not giving him that. Like, I'm not doing it. And so we fought a little bit and argued, and I started looking into different formulas. And a doctor heard, um, I guess, about the fit I was having, <laughs> and he had used a specific formula formula called Functional Formulary. So it's called Liquid Hope by Functional Formulary. It's a company, and it's whole food, organic, the best, of the best. I called it Liquid Gold. It's the best and the best of food that you can give a kid. And they donated a few boxes to us. And so we were able to try it and he tolerated it so well. And I knew what was in it and it was real food and it was organic and it wasn't, you know, garbage. Yeah. And so at that point I begged the doctors to write the script for it. And they finally did. They were like, okay, we'll write it. And so when we got to St. Jude, they wanted to change it to the food that they had. And, you know, and I just, at that point, I was tired of fighting and I just looked at them and I'm like, if you can give me more than 10% prognosis that my kid's going to live, then you can tell me what to feed my kid. But at this point, nobody's telling me what to feed him. We will continue on with the formula that we have because it's working and you need to write the prescription for it. And they're like, well, we just don't think that it has a, enough shelf life and they had a few things. and. So I connected the nutrition team and functional formularies and they got together and they talked and they came back and said, we were wrong. It's actually really good stuff. We will go ahead and write you the prescription for it. And so he was able to stay on the medicine that he could tolerate and he didn't lose any weight in treatment, none.
1: Yeah, which is interesting because for you know anybody on chemo will tell you that yeah. the first thing that happens is they they drastically lose weight.
2: He didn't gain it, but he did not lose it. Yeah. Not since the the first um, treatment. Wow. So what what I'm hearing...
0: Yeah, what I'm hearing is like the knowledge and the knowledge of the capacity that you found yourself Mm -hmm. in that you become a doctor to a certain degree and even learning and knowing more in certain specific categories about nutrition perhaps and that's precisely what i remember while taking care of my dad as well um figuring out formulas shipping them from the us in fact we He was uh, being taken care of in China. And I had my friends visiting me from here and literally like their entire suitcase will be all these nutritional pre already um, pre-mixed bottles and i was so grateful for for these people who became you know lifelong friends but i remember that life uh so precisely still today and uh, so i'm i'm kind of curious the capacity that you you find yourself in and one thing we haven't talked about which has come up a lot are the dynamics between couples whether you're you know married or otherwise like how do you maintain a healthy relationship and still care for each other um because you are so important to all of your children not just to yourselves So I'd love for you to chat about that.
1: Well, that was an interesting one because, you know, I think because we both possess a strong leadership quality that we both kind of just, whatever our realm of influence is, that's what we take charge in. Mm -hmm. So for me, I just, I was at a point where I'm like, I I, probably uh, an assumption more or less that, She didn't necessarily, she just knew and understood that I cared and appreciated everything that she was doing while she was there, Mm -hmm. if if that makes sense. And then for me, um, I actually wrote, uh, uh, I wrote about it, but for me, it was more of a, I knew she was there for me. I knew she cared. She um, definitely would ask about the kids and me. You know, throughout the especially the hundred plus days that she was not there, um, I think the struggle that I had more so was just feeling um, as as the dad and husband. A lot of times we're kind of shoved off to the side, and there's not a whole lot of um, there was care, but it's it's I think an assumption that we're okay, we got it all, all together, mm-hmm. um, we'll figure it out. It doesn't affect us like it does the mom or the wife. Uh, so I, I experienced that to a degree. I mean, I definitely had some, some great uh, male individuals that reached out to me, you know, consistently and checked on me and regularly. Um, and I've personally written each one of them and thanked them tremendously because, you know, you got to have that support system. Um, were there times where I felt like I could have supported my wife uh, a lot better? Absolutely. You know, there was definitely times where I think because I didn't know how to handle or process my own emotions and everything um, that I just shut down, you know. So I didn't, you know, maybe necessarily hug her enough or, you know, tell her I love her and appreciate her. Um, definitely a lot of those instances throughout that because your your focus is go, go, go. I got to get this done and I got to get this done. There's just so much, you know, with all the children moving and uh you know you got one child with this type of diagnosis and it, it tends to suck up a lot of uh, of time you know emotional and physical time so you know i think i don't know if i explained that right mm-hmm. does that mean yeah so great yeah that was for me at least yeah
2: i think um and aunt tay um stacy she came to stay with us and it, that was pivotal That was a very pivotal uh, week for us Mm -hmm. because she was like, you guys are a mess (laughs) and I'm going to do whatever it takes to help you to be even better than you were before. Because you guys all have trauma. You all have PTSD. Like I said before, I'd walk around and there was, there'd be a loud noise and I couldn't even breathe. I would stop in my tracks and I would freak. I unpacked and decorated my whole house during one of the two week periods that we were home, and I don't remember doing it. I have no memory of it. None. No memory at all whatsoever. You know, when things settled down, I looked around, I'm like, wow, I did a great job. The house looks wonderful. I'm glad I don't remember any of it. But it was just fueled by complete anxiety, PTSD, trauma, like you name it. I was on autopilot. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think. It was nothing that bothered Nothing. Nothing. There, there's nothing that anybody, not a person I think could have. It was something I had to really purposely spend time with God. I had to like just, it was me and God. It was a uh, these moments of what do I do here? How do I feel here? What do I do to fix me? And one of the things that he was very clear that I did the entire time was right. And my writing was a way to heal. And, and I would just, I would wake up and I would write and I would just get all the trauma out. And I, I'm I'm editing, I'm editing it now. I have a publisher and I have somebody who is editing it after me. And then it'll be published probably in the beginning of uh, 2021.
0: Wow. But as
2: I'm editing I'm, I, I am at a loss of words at some of the things that I had to process as a mother, you know, but, but there wasn't anything that Bobby could have done better or worse because it was really just me needing to God's the only one that can heal your heart from trauma. Somebody else can't heal your heart. God has to come and heal your heart. And it was, there was a lot of me and God moments and a lot of him just speaking so, um, Delicately to my heart, you know, and I could hear him. You're doing a good job. I love you so much. You've got this. You're not alone. I'm with you. I'm not gonna leave you. I want you to, you know, and there were times where he's like, close your eyes and see me. Close your eyes and see what I want to give you right now. And it was these intimate times with God that has brought me back to a place of healing. When I I couldn't even drive,
1: I couldn't drive anywhere. She would she would come home. And I'm thinking, all right, she's been in the hospital.
2: Um, maybe she wants to go get, get a of go get it. Yeah, I,
1: and she would not. And I
2: hit a wall, and she could I couldn't pick crying. up the car keys. I couldn't. I, I mean, could drive. The fear was so crazy, and I am never been a fear fear for a person. Like in college, I dropped out one semester and went to Costa Rica with a surfboard in, in the middle of nowhere and lived in a tent, and surfed for three months. You know, so like for me, fear has never been something that I even struggled with. No. And so all of a sudden I had this intense fear. I couldn't drive, I couldn't move, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't,
1: yeah.
2: I couldn't even watch Micah outside running because I was so afraid he was going to fall on his face. Like it was this like I mean it is
1: actually several times.
2: <laughs> and so it was really this place of like recognizing that I needed to process these emotions so that I could um, function as a mother and as wife. And so no there wasn't anything that Bobby could have done differently or better or worse it really was this internal um beautiful processing with god that brought me to where i am now and i can drive i can i'm not afraid of much now no no i'm i feel i feel stronger than i even did before the diagnosis now wow isn't that i mean there's definitely still moments where there's so much to do. We have so much to do, you know, and sometimes our finances are like, wow, we have negative hundred dollars in the bank. <laughs> awesome. But it's not this fear of it's this. Now when there's a challenge now, when I feel something, I just kind of look to God, like, hmm, what are you going to do? Like, yeah. how are you going to work this out? Because you promised you would. And so our faith is in a different place.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, wow. Yeah. Anna, then, do you have any thoughts? Mm-hmm. I, It's so sweet to hear all of this. Yeah. No, I'm just uh, amazed about how you're like from the beginning, how you were saying, Oh, I don't trust this first doctor. And then the second one, you know, you can trust her. So you follow your intuition or what you hear and, and, and see. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I've, I hear this in this whole, in the whole story you told that you have a deep, deep faith and hope and, I'm really impressed about that. And somehow you're able to let go some things and trust the right people.
1: Yeah, Yeah, for sure. That's a good way to put it.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the doctor who sat in front of us and told us that there was nothing that she could do and that we would have to rely on chemo and that probably wouldn't work. Remember, that's basically how she worded it. (laughs) Again, I was angry at her. But that's when I started writing and I was writing and I was writing about her. And God said to her, said to me very clearly, she is on your side, she's on your team. She loves Micah. She just doesn't know what to do or how to say it. And she's doing the best (laughs) that she can. That's right, too. Yes. To help. And you can trust her. Right. But but no matter what, ultimately you're gonna trust me. And I've seen that happen a lot. Like doctors will change mid-sentence certain things that they're gonna do because the Holy spirit walks in the room and changes the dynamics of the room. Like yeah, it's been intense. It so, is definitely a bit, you intense. know,
1: the, the, the most common theme of this whole journey has been, you know, faith first mm-hmm. um and wisdom second. So when you think about, these doctors, whether they're they were in Tampa or here at St. Jude, you have you know you have people that have degrees in these fields. You know they've gone through a lot of schooling, a lot of uh, a lot of head knowledge,
2: and they're brilliant. And they
1: are brilliant, and, and they're
2: loving. Even this yeah. doctor,
1: her name's Doctor Garcia. She at first she rubbed me wrong because of how she delivered the information or what she was feeling in the situation, but she was just straight to the point. Mm-hmm of uh, what she knew at the moment from her, her knowledge. And she and became one
2: of our favorites. What's
1: interesting, mm-hmm. though, is mm-hmm. we were already thinking, all right, he's not taking his oral chemo. What are we going to do to fix this? G-tube is now in. Chemo is now no longer a problem. Now let's research food. So we that's how we, our brains operate is we don't, we're not feeding them, you know, pedi, pedi- sure. We're going to give him stuff that actually is good for his body because, you know, immediately we were turned on to people that were stage four adults. That's a death sentence. Mm-hmm. And we're healing themselves just from eating radically, correctly.
2: Radically being I mean, healed just, by making choices, lifestyle
1: choices. Now, does eating? it happen every time? No no. 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 Cancer is a beast, and there's so many different types out there that, you know,
2: but even the way we're looking at it is we're like, okay, God said he would get healed. We believe that he's going to get healed. Yeah. But there are things that we are going to have to do and we're going to have to listen clearly. And we're going to have to say yes to these things and, 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 and make sure that we know what God's saying. Yeah. And I think, each thing that Micah needed, we would either have dreams about or somebody. There'd would. be confirmation yeah. of some sort
1: from it someone that has no idea that we're contemplating it. Yeah, like
2: these d- people would have dreams about the craziest things. And for instance, he started stuttering really bad when his Mitotain level was very high. And I was like, he needs lemon juice. He, I don't know why I feel like he needs lemon juice, but I think he needs lemon juice. And our friend Sarah,
1: a couple days where-
2: later, said, hey, I had a dream that Micah was eating organic lemons. We started giving him lemon juice and his stuttering stopped
1: completely. I mean, it's stuff wow. that we can't make up. It's <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah.
2: yeah, and it's all in the book.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing.
2: Yeah, it's you so know, And
1: it's really, it's really okay. cool because is to, you know, we knew early on that his story, okay. it was a declaration um, that he would reach the multitudes. His story would reach around the world. And I'm thinking to my, I know God's big. I know he can, he's fully capable of anything, but how is this going to get around the world? This is, you know, we're in Tampa, Florida now, you know, Tennessee. And I'm not kidding. I started, I started getting text messages and Facebook messages from people in Africa, Mm -hmm. holding up signs, little boys, little kids, holding up a sign that says, we love you, Micah, we're praying for you. Oh, wow. South America, same thing. These kids are praying for, you know, Micah, who they don't even know in South America and, you know, so on and so forth. It started to spread like wildfire.
2: Yeah. And I think um, when I think of the different dynamics that can help a person heal, you know, I think of nutrition, I think of supplements, I think of integrative therapy. We do high dose vitamin C therapeutic um for him we do mistletoe treatments Yep. um he's on thc cbd it's a neuron protector um you know he's he's on all the things micah is on all the things i mean he's but in a sauna things-
1: we have an infrared light that i put yeah. on him for 20 minutes every night i mean yes. when you think about if we showed you a picture of our medicine board and then um, videotaped what our life day, like. what our day it's looks like, true. just one day, uh, one day in the life of the turn of hands. Yeah, it's all
2: healing, <laughs> healing and goodness.
1: Um, it's, it's busy. You should but do I like,
2: it. I should have a
0: YouTube <laughs> channel and
2: actually share it. <laughs> right. There's different like levels of healing. Not levels. There's different um, factors of healing, and so I believe integrative therapy is one of those. Nutrition is another laughing is a very big yeah. deal so mm-hmm. we learn to laugh a lot and we learned to sing a lot mm-hmm. so when it was Micah and Mommy time we would laugh and we would sing yeah. and we would laugh and we would sing and in my fact, goal in the hospital was to try to get him to laugh a certain amount during the day
1: and that was tell a- about the nurses
2: oh yeah so Whenever this we were hilarious. inpatient, the nurses could hear Micah singing from their desk. And so every time that they knew we were coming in inpatient, they loved it. They would sit at the desk and they would listen to Micah sing. From the room. Yeah, from the room. With the door shut. With the door shut, yeah.
1: That's how loud he is. Yes, yeah. so
2: he was <laughs> always um, But another thing of, I, I feel like an uh, avenue of healing is support. Our support system. And our support system was just...
1: It still is. It, I, I, mean, I don't even
2: have the words to explain how Mm -hmm. people have made us feel and empowered us and provided for us Mm -hmm. and integrative therapy is not easy in the pediatric oncology realm because it is not studied. And it is, nobody does it. Mm -hmm. Like we're pioneering things that nobody's ever done with children, maybe a handful, but for the most part, you talk about some of these therapies and people have no idea. And the doctors are like, well, we've seen studies in Hopkins, but not on kids. And so Pioneering all of this is extremely hard, and I met with one of the main doctors at St. Jude, who gave me the green light for it all um, because Mike only had a ten percent chance to live. And so at that point, it was like, "Well, you're giving me ten percent. I'm going to do whatever it takes to increase that." You know, your box is broken, so we need to think out of the box. Yeah. And so that's really the journey that we ended up, you know, taking. But we would never have been able to do any of it without the support of people. Yeah. And so people heard what we were doing and they were they And they, were, they
1: heard they heard you know cuz it's not covered by the hospital it's not covered by pay
2: for any of it. By Vitamin insurance. C is $200 every time we take him and he was going three times per week. Mm-hmm. And so people were donating yeah. the money for that mistletoe and for the sauna and for, for everything that we said yes to God about, we were like, okay, God, we say yes to these things. So we don't know how we're going to pay for them. We don't know what this is going to look like, but every idea he gave us, he provided for the love of the people.
0: Just,
2: I just don't even, I don't even have the words to explain it. Like, we yeah. ha- we when we first moved here, we didn't know anybody at all, whatsoever.
1: Yeah, even the Collierville um, community. I was by myself again. You know, she was still at uh, St. Jude, and it was during the lovely toilet paper issue, not being able to find anywhere. You know, when you have this many children, you, you cannot have paper. a house without toilet paper. So, <laughs> I re- I just I found a Facebook page for. Um,
2: Collierville. Collierville. And I
1: just threw it out there. I'm like, look, dad at home with seven children. And one of them's at St. Jude. Um, my wife's not here. I can't even leave the house because of COVID um, and, you know, the risk. Um, where can I get some toilet paper? I just want to order some. I'll pay somebody to pick it up for me.
2: <laughs> but it wasn't even on Amazon at that point.
1: And would you yeah. know that literally within an hour, I'm watching people... Mm -mm. drop it off at my house in my mailbox like car after car
2: all around yep in front of the garage huge boxes yeah
1: yeah just people you don't even know just saying there you go like oh my gosh what else do you need i mean dropping Mm -hmm. bags of groceries and canned goods and you know so. so his
2: fifth birthday which was something that doctors did not think we would see Every time they came in to tell us about his scans, they warned us. We think it will probably be in his stomach. We think it'll probably be spread here, spread there, this and that. Yep. They never gave us any false hope or hope whatsoever. Again, our faith was in what God was telling us. Definitely not what they were, but that's what they knew. That's I mean, that, was that would the reality of that's what the they saw. the reality of adrenal cortical carcinoma, high risk and aggressive and And he has a uh, TP53 gene mutation on top of that. And so they were not expecting it to go well. And every scan, I don't see anything here, or um, he's officially NED. And so there was a a lot of that. So his fifth birthday was a big deal because nobody was, I was expecting to see it, but nobody else was, you know? And so the doctors were definitely not. So when his fifth birthday rolled around, I'm like, we can't do anything because of COVID. Like, how are we? And we don't know anybody here. It's yeah. just us. I mean, we have enough kids to have like a baseball game. Right. <laughs> but like, yeah, we gonna celebrate this? And so I was like, maybe we'll just do a parade. Mm-hmm. That will be fun. And Micah loves police officers and now he loves doctors. I'm not sure what what he wants yeah. to do now, but he loves police officers. So I guess the police station heard about the parade and got in touch with Bobby and they coordinated, um, all of their cars to come out and for the parade and they made him honorable officer of the day.
1: They actually first where it started is they made him his own police uniform, his size at the place that they get their uniforms made. That's where it started. Mm -hmm. Then, um, they were a little sneaky. They didn't want to even, I think they were ready to shock me as well because um, they didn't provide me with all the details other than that they would be there, you know, just to say hello and do a dr- quick drive-by to say hi to Micah, wave to them. Mm-hmm. Well, these guys reach out. There, there, there were four different counties. Mm-hmm. And I'm not counties, four different towns, the sheriff's office and the SWAT team. So there were literally almost a hundred various police cars um, that came through. within that
2: 10 minutes, their sirens and their lights, the siren was all you could hear. So Mike is standing there waving and, and you couldn't talk because it was so loud.
1: Yeah. And all
2: you could hear were sirens. it was the most surreal like five minutes yeah because we love police officers we're very like you know we just support them so much and we're just so thankful for them and so it was just a very surreal moment to see Micah celebrated and all of his hard chemo and his fifth birthday and we don't know these people and you know that parade was long and there were a lot of cars
1: 300 plus
2: Jeep club came, Batman came. The Batmobile was here. Star Wars were marching <laughs> yeah. up and down. Like I mean, it was unbelievable. And Mike was just so happy. And then other
1: St. Jude parents, you know, yeah. so mm-hmm.
2: yeah, And all the kids really enjoyed it. I think oh, the whole family really, yeah, enjoyed it.
1: It was pretty. It yeah. was actually on uh, Fox thirteen. It was yeah, local Fox Memphis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was pretty funny that they came out and actually had the TV news, TV here and sent us the links to, to watch it. was, I mean, he was honored for yes. what he has accomplished
2: been through, yeah. and been
1: through. It was just such a cool day, you know?
2: Wow. So the prayer, the support, um, just pe- how people have invested in, in us yeah, has yeah. been very powerful to our family.
1: Even Michael, you know, like, I don't know, Michael, he reached out to me. Yeah. Um, a couple weeks ago and, you know, asked to join our page and follow us. And, um, I, I just knew immediately that he was just such an authentic individual that, you know, if I were to message him, not knowing him to just say, Hey, I need your prayer in this particular area. I knew, I just know that he would do it, Yeah. you know? So when he asked us, uh, if we would be interested, I was like, Oh my gosh, like, Absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: This is this is so wonderful, and I mean, you're this, this is such precious time for you and your family to be together. And we've taken up a lot of your time. I I so appreciate it, and you know, and so to especially the stories you just share in the past 10, 15 minutes, it's blew my mind. And I, um, you know, I definitely I feel like there's no better place to to really you know wrap up the conversation. But I really want to acknowledge the fact that. You know, I think about imagine uh, the people who stop by your houses, the people, all these people showed up in your lives who may share, you know, may come from different backgrounds, ethnicities, who may not even share the same religion. And I think that's what's most beautiful is what I'm learning from this, that I, I also have my own religion and I, you know, we, there's, there's always a, a different, you know, a God probably means different things to different people, but when you believe in something and, um, not just that statement on a piece of paper, the hospital. I remember seeing that. I remember what I heard about my own, my dad's diagnosis and how hopeless I felt. And you just want to crumble down to the floor and feel like you're, you're so alone in this world. And, um, but to hear all of these people, I just give me such hope for humanity that people will give away their own toilet paper, um, to you. Yeah and i i don't anna do you have anything that that i know you're smiling and or tearing up and that's the best kind of conversations right thank you so much robert and and heather thank anna thank you so much for being here as well so um so lovely please enjoy the rest of your yeah, day we
1: appreciate it thank you
0: we thank you too thank, thank, you, thank you so much for great to meet yeah hope to meet you in person someday too